0: I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, welcome back for another episode, folks. We are well into the month of November. Thanks for uh, giving us a little time to take off last week for our radio listeners. You caught. Episode one, we went way back into the archives for, uh, for a rerun on the on the radio last week. <clears throat> radio listeners got to listen to Jennifer Law. Jennifer is the, the president and director of the Center for Bioethics and Culture. She was our very, very first guest on Faith and Politics. We had her on to talk about surrogacy, specifically commercial surrogacy. Jennifer's helped uh, a number of women across the country and across the, the world, including a woman in, in South Dakota, who was uh, a commercial surrogate on a number of occasions and then just came to realize how badly she was being used and was kind of up a crick, as they say, with nowhere to turn. And Jennifer jumped in and helped her out. So for our podcast listeners, if you didn't catch that on the radio last week, you can go back to episode one and catch that rerun. An amazing, amazing story. I think it's uh, it was important, I thought, to, to kind of put that story back out there again, you know, two years or so after we first ran it, because we're coming up on the legislative session here this January. And this is gonna be a hot topic again this year. It's really important for us as Catholics to, to know some of the stories, to know some of the principles and to know that actually this is a this is a big deal even in uh, even in South Dakota. Um, you know, just kind of thinking about what we got back there in the archives, another another great episode that uh, I would, this is a guest I wanna have on again sometime, but episode 41, we had Katie Faust on. Katie is the director of Them Before Us, founder and director, Them Before Us uh, simply is about children's rights, them, meaning children, before us, adults. We should put children first and foremost in their rights at the front and center of our public policy. Katie was in South Dakota recently, He gave a number of presentations, Sioux Falls, Rapid City, does a really, really phenomenal job. She talks about surrogacy, but a number of other topics too, children having a right to a mother and a father, for example, but... Episode forty-one uh, to dip back into the archives. If if any, you got a little windshield uh, time across South Dakota in the in the weeks ahead. Okay, we're going to do something today that we have not. I don't think we've done it on this program before. We're going to dive into South Dakota history a little bit, specifically Catholic South Dakota history. You know, it's it's for for us to understand who we are as a people. It's really important to understand where we came from too. So, really delighted to have on the show with us this week, Father John Paul Trask. Father Trask is a priest of the Diocese of Rapid City, and we're gonna talk about Father uh, Pierre-Jean Desmet, a missionary priest to South Dakota. Father Trask, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris, good to be here. I'm so glad that you're here, but before we get started, Father, do you mind maybe just sharing a little bit about yourself, who you are with listeners?
1: Sure, Uh, I'm a native of South Dakota, born and raised in Western South Dakota near Wall and well Drug, if you're familiar with that. And uh, I uh, come from a big Catholic family and I uh, grew up in just kind of a rural background, went to high school and wall grade school in a small school. Then I went, uh, then I took a year off, kind of discerned my vocation to the priesthood. And then I entered uh, the seminary and became a priest in 2015. I've been a priest for six years now and I'm serving currently in Eagle Butte, South Dakota, on the Cheyenne River Sioux Reservation. Well,
0: that's, that's beautiful. Thank you for just your yes to the Lord and your joyful priesthood. I know it's really a witness to me and, and no doubt to, to all whom you, you touch. Um, Thank you. And uh, so, okay, this is a faith in politics show. And I know your brother is not a politician, but he is a lawyer. Uh, they, it, do I recall he's your twin brother? We're talking about John. Uh, br-
1: just a younger
0: brother. Younger brother, not a twin. Okay. Gotcha. So, and he he married so, somewhat into. I guess everybody in South Dakota is kind of related to a politician. But uh, <laughs> your your brother married the daughter of a former South Dakota legislator from uh, the Flandreau area. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, it's always fun running into him and Pierre. I don't know. He kind of barnstorms in and out, and uh, he's fun to bump <laughs> into. So, okay. So to the to the matter at hand, we're going to talk today about. Father Pierre Jean Desmet and I caught a talk that you gave at uh, for the parishes in Pierre a couple years ago, and I was just like blown away by this guy, by Father Desmet. You know, and everybody will recognize the name Desmet because we've got this this little town on the prairie um, mm. that is I don't know what is it about an hour and a half from Sioux Falls, forty five minutes west, and another forty five north kind of out there in the, in the Eastern Prairie, uh, DeSmet, South Dakota, made famous by Laura Ingalls Wilder. I love taking my family there in the summer out to the homestead. But um, you gave this, this talk about, about him, and I want to kind of talk a little bit about his life today. But can you maybe, and I don't know if you shared this when you gave the talk, but what, what first attracted you to him or what drew you to learn about his life? Do you remember um, how you first encountered him or, or what stuck out to you that, that, that made you want to learn more?
1: um uh, you know i can't remember any uh exact instant where i first learned of him but i i you know working on a reservation was my first assignment at, here in eagle butte i was here my first year of priesthood then i got transferred to spearfish for three years and now i'm back here but so that first year i just read a lot i'm sure it was that year when i first encountered him and learn about him and it's amazing i hadn't heard about him before that actually because um he he's just such a mountain mountaineer really he i mean almost literally he actually was a pioneer in many ways and i can say more about that later but i guess my main reason for why he just so attracts me and um is such an admirable person to me is because of his ministry to the native Americans mm. and his pioneering ministry.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk about both those things, but you know, maybe like a lot of the pioneers, the mountain men, if you will, that they sort of came West, they came from back East. Right. So it's, and, yeah. and, and he came from even further East. He was born in, born in Europe. Do you want to give us just kind of the sketch of, I don't know, his early life.
1: Yeah, he was uh, born in Belgium and he was uh I think he had a moderate, son, you know, several siblings. And um, he was, uh, and all the biographies state how robust and lively and vigorous he was. He was like a strong man. I mean, he was just like physically very energetic and strong. I mean, had just had amazing physical endurance and, and strength which served him well in all of his adventures the rest of his life. And then uh, he discerned into the priesthood by, um, well, he became a Jesuit seminarian, and that was just kind of part of his, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't out of the ordinary. He went to a Jesuit school there in Belgium, and then and then it just kind of discerned the priesthood. But what was out of the ordinary is he listened to a missionary from the United States came to their seminary in Belgium and uh, talked about the need for priests out west in in all these places where they wanted black robes and they didn't have them. So he was so inspired by that, that he actually knew it was going to be contradicted and um not liked by his family so he snuck away and left on a boat without telling his father and mother to go to america
0: wow wow this and it kind of strikes me as like i don't know the the young man who runs away from home to join the marines or something like this is yeah you know when i heard, when i was hearing you tell about this sort of his attraction to hardship in some sense mm-hmm. I, there were there were advertisements I don't know if they would be in like our contemporary equivalent of like the parish bulletin, but these advertisements, that would say, you know, death in an unmarked grave in a foreign land and, you know, sort of detailing the (laughs) hardships. I don't know if you remember some of those from like the advertisements, but yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah,
1: I wish I could remember that quote I quoted that (laughs) evening. I should have looked it up or I, I uh, it's something like, um, you know, no square meals a day guaranteed, and yeah. yeah. all the all these, just as powerful. It almost reminds you of Lord of the Rings. There's a scene that I always think of. It's he said, The dwarf says, certainty of death, small chance of success. <laughs> what are we waiting for? <laughs> that's right,
0: that's right. You know, and it's yes, uh, hunger guaranteed, coldness guaranteed, uh, yeah. death and complete obscurity, which again, makes me think of kind of the old Marine, uh, recruiting poster, you know, we didn't promise you a rose garden and he's attracted to this. He's like, he's a vigorous, he's a man's man. He's, mm-hmm. um, so, so he, so he joins the Jesuits and he, and he ends up, um, he ends up in America and what's kind of the next step in his life.
1: And then he goes to, uh, I think it's Duquesne It's somewhere around eastern, uh, western Pennsylvania where they had a Jesuit seminary, and and I I can't remember the exact name of that place, but anyway, that was their training headquarters, and then they sent him to St. Louis, which was sort of the, I mean, as we kind of know, the missionary post for the whole west and the trading post for the whole west beyond the Mississippi, so that was where he went, and that's where he began his missionary endeavors up to, up the Missouri and Mississippi rivers.
0: Well, and, and at that time, so he was born in 1801. At this point in time, when he's done with his novitiate, ends up in St. Louis, we'd be something in, I don't know, the 1820s. So just to give listeners a bit of context, of like, this is a, we're talking about a rugged land. I mean, St. Yep. St. Louis is sort of at the very edge of... um you know, Western civilization, you might say it's, it's like the last outpost. So from St. Louis, he, he takes some missionary journeys. What do you remember about some of these journeys?
1: Yeah. So then he, he goes up and establishes a, uh, a, a mission on the, in the Potawatomi Indian tribe. And that was in current day council bluffs, Iowa. And, and just, was so successful there in establishing a, what they called St. Joseph's Mission. And the Potawatomies just received him with open arms. And that's one of the things that's so wonderful to read about, is how the Native American tribes so revered, Father Dismet in particular, but black robes in general, as they called the priests back then. I mean, they just they just received them like they were... Jesus himself hmm. so that was his first main missionary post and it was actually from there that he launched the to the rest of the West which he I mean especially the west and the Northwest he went clear to the Pacific, uh, Pacific Ocean really in, in Washington basically I mean all the way to Washington state and all those tribes in there so he was just all over the place.
0: Wow. So what's the, I mean, he went that far west. We, he's got a, a town name for him in South Dakota. What were some of his connections to, <laughs> to South Dakota and some of the Native American <laughs> tribes that were that were living in and around South Dakota specifically?
1: Sure. Well, that's, a, that's where I really have a keen interest, you know, being here among the Lakota people. And his first Encounter with the Sioux was the Yankton Sioux. And actually, and this is one of the characterizing features of his successful ministry and why it's a successful ministry is that he was a, I call him the peacemaker Mm. because he was, I mean, he really, he really effectively saved thousands of lives by his peacemaking mission, missions. Many, And he, one of his first peacemaking successes was he was among the Potawatomi, but they were in dread of their life because the Sioux were basically just kind of the overlords of the plains and they would just raid and pillage and steal and anything else. So the Potawatomi were very scared and threatened by them. So Father DeSmet went up to South Dakota and that was his first entrance into the South Dakota area territory, what we now know. And he bartered a a peace agreement with the Yankton Sioux and he hoped and and, um, asked them to pass that on to the other Sioux. So that by the end, when he left there, he had secured Gifts from the Yankton Sioux to take back to give to the children of the deceased that they had killed in the previous winter, wow. and and a and and a and a peace pipe also that he gave to them and had them smoke as his, his, you know, agreement to
0: that treaty. How did he do that? I mean, it. Um, do, do you have any sense of? I mean, wouldn't he? I'm just struck that he wasn't himself frightened for his life or just to have the confidence to sort of go out as an ambassador, a a diplomat, if you will. Do do you have any sense of, um, and maybe his biographers don't know, but any sense of how he went about this or how he was able to develop such a rapport that, that his own life wasn't, you know, at stake or.
1: Well, his, his life, he, he did throw his life on the line many times and he didn't know how his mission was going to be received. But he, he, uh, oftentimes though, his reputation had preceded him because they knew about him mm. and that just turned out to be such a lifesaver for him in many instances, actually is because they'd realized who he was and uh, that they'd heard about him. Gotcha. And so the Yankton Sioux had actually heard about him and they, uh, he, sent you know i don't know they must have scouts and people going back and forth all the time because he sent messages ahead yep. messages ahead that uh, you know told them he was coming and then they received him with a big banquet and a celebration and they were happy to see him
0: wow what a fascinating i mean it's it's just a fascinating uh, sorry go ahead
1: i, I would also add I, I was gonna add is that he was just a old man and I'd say that's nothing but the grace of the holy spirit and the gift of fortitude. I mean that guy had no fear. And actually that's one of the things the native americans of all tribes immediately recognized and so admired in him is because he would just he was just in god's hands and he knew it and he didn't care. Wow. And they said and one of the chiefs i can't remember if the blackfeet or something at uh he's in this dangerous territory later in his life and one of the chiefs it's a funny story he actually came in it was the blackfeet yeah it was the blackfeet because they had gotten caught in blackfeet territory and the blackfeet were considered like you know just don't go there don't mess with them don't let them see you because you'll probably get killed and They got caught in Blackfoot territory. This Blackfoot tribe took him in and celebrated him on a buffalo robe. They carried him into their camp on a buffalo robe, which was a common way of them showing honor to a person. But they showed it to him. Then they feasted him all evening and told him stories all evening and regaled him with dances and enactments of their endeavors. And then this. And then they set him up the chief set him up in his own tent uh like conjoining his tent in another tent and um and then he comes in at night with a knife and he and he comes into his tent in the middle of the night and he takes um uh father dismet by the collar and he holds the knife <laughs> up <laughs> to his face and and he said, black robe, are you scared? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, I'm not scared. <laughs> and and uh, I can't, I know I can't remember the exact dialogue, but basically the, after that encounter, that chief ha- just couldn't quit admiring. He was just, he like, he f- passed every test and that was the last one. And he was his friend the rest of his life. And because he said, I've never seen anyone as brave as you are.
0: Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a fascinating story. Um, and I kind of mm-hmm. get goosebumps listening to it too. Just thinking of, the his confidence in his confidence in the Lord and his hope and salvation. And, um, yeah. yeah, as you put it, the fortitude too, is it really is a gift of the Holy spirit. And I don't know if I'm getting, getting ahead of, uh, ourselves in the story here, but I, I think I remember too, that he was known as a friend of Sitting Bull, who's of course a a very famous uh, native American chief. Do I remember this, this uh, moniker, right? Does this ring a bell Friend is uh, sitting bowl?
1: Um, He, he was that. Okay. So that's another, probably his most successful peacemaking mission was when he went and he actually, The government, the federal government, this is in a later time in the 18, when he went into the Yankton Sioux uh, to make peace with the Pottawatomies and them. That was in 1839, I think. And and then in 18, then many years passed of him doing all his endeavors. And um, in 1851, there was two Fort Laramie treaties, and the eighteen fifty one and there was one in eighteen fifty one and one in eighteen sixty eight and I now I'm I'm a little rusty on which one was which. He was involved in both of them. The government asked him because the conflict with the Sioux people had become so contentious that there was just there was just no way out of all full scale war and basically it would have resulted in more extermination of the sioux people because they were kind of on their last you know holdout positions and and it would of course resulted in many casualties to the americans but i mean ultimately the americans were just kind of had this superpower strength to you know, just slaughter them. and so they uh Asked Father DeSmet if he'd go to try to negotiate a peace agreement and a talk to bring them to the table to talk. Father DeSmet and they wanted him to be an emissary of the United States government. Father DeSmet said, No, I can't be an emissary of the United States government because he had seen the government, you know, say one thing, do another. He'd seen conflicting, corrupt, and individuals in the government positions, he knew that, you know, the government would say one thing and then another guy from the government would say another. And then there was disagreements, then legislation would change. And then who knows what else, traders would just start doing conniving things. So he said, no, my reputation cannot be chained to the government's. So he carried a flag with a banner Go went to the Sioux. This is another one of his bold moves. He actually didn't know if he was going to be killed. And he went to the most hostile Sioux Indian territory you can imagine. I mean, they were bristling with hostility toward white men. And in fact, Sitting Bull himself told Father DeSmet after they received him, well, let me back up a little bit. He went with a flag on horseback and the flag was a Catholic flag, not any one nation's flag. And it had a picture of Jesus and Mary, um, a picture of Jesus on one side of Mary on the other. So he, uh, went to them and they received him and he was very grateful for that because of uh, the alternative would have not been good. And, uh, Sitting Bull himself said to Father Dismet you're the only white man that would that we will allow to leave our camp alive and and it, I mean that's the way it was he was the only guy and Father Dismet himself if it would have been another priest he may not it may have been just another you know scout but Father DeSmet had that big of a reputation with Sitting Bull and with all these other great chiefs of the time that they wanted him at the table. And he actually brought them to the table through his influence. And then the treaty is a whole other story of how that played out, but anyway.
0: Well, Father, we've got about four minutes left and I want to spend a little <laughs> time just kind of processing this in terms of what is, what is Father, I know I know you have a, a love for Father Dismet. You've you know spent a lot of time reading about him. You know the stories. You're you're ministering among the same Native nations that he ministered among. So what is what does he mean for you? What is the you know how is he sort of what how is he sort of bound up in your own ministry or or what do you take away from his life?
1: Well, uh, thank you. And maybe one of the things is. Is his dedication to the Native American people and their ultimate welfare. I mean, Mm. um, that's a wrong, bad term to use. (laughs) Their their spiritual well-being. Yes. And he he was so concerned about them. And one other thing I'll say, he was just so disinterested. In it for his own sake, he had no selfish motives at all in his life story. I mean, he really should be canonized a saint. He's mm-hmm. also just a very clever person. I mean, he was extremely clever and his letters are so fun to read. And he and he this is an example of his disinterestedness. He had was always in need of money always fundraising. He went four different times back to Europe to fundraise. Now, all the way, that's a long ways back in the day when you're traveling by foot and boat and horseback and ships. And he went back there and fundraised. Well, he knew there was gold in plentiful abundance. He had seen streams because he was, like I said, a pioneer. And he was also like a herbalist and a map maker. I mean, the guy was just skipped it every way. He had seen him with his own eyes, gold, in just lying in stream beds, in nuggets, his silver deposits, copper. He knew it was all there. He, like, he was, <clears throat> he knew the land and he knew geology. He even discovered dinosaur bones in the Badlands. And the guy was just all around a well-educated man, but he didn't take one nugget of gold because. He did not want and he kept it a secret for his whole life that he didn't want the white people to know there was gold uh-huh. because he knew they just overrun the Indian territory. And he uh-huh. wanted to preserve the Indians and try to establish missions before the traders came in there and the gold rushers mm-hmm. and kind of started corrupting it. So, so that's an example. I'm sorry. I kind of went long.
0: No, that's OK. Um you know, you mentioned his letters. Is there any particular book that you might suggest to people as a starting point if they wanted to read a little bit more about Father DeSmet for themselves?
1: Yeah, Black Robe by John Upton Terrell. That's a wonderful book.
0: Black Robe by John Upton Terrell. 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 Yep. Very good. Yeah. And and kind of one last point that you mentioned is he should be canonized. You, I mean, in what you've learned through your study, you see a holy life. So maybe there's something there for us Catholics in South Dakota, we can just ask for his intercession. And um, just uh, as our, you know, our nations, we've got our own difficulties and maybe he can be an intercessor for us uh, in our country and in Mm -hmm. the state of South Dakota. Father, thank you so much for for joining us on the program and sharing a little bit about the life of Father Pierre-Jean Desmet.
1: Amen, thank you for having me. It's fun to share it, thank you.
0: Well, a great, great story from Catholic South Dakota history. Next time our listeners drive through that burgeoning metropolis of Dismet, you'll have to think back to Father Pierre-Jean. I know my family will as we we visit the homestead up there every summer. Listeners, don't hesitate to reach out. We love to hear feedback. You can go to sdcatholicconference.org, click Contact Us, drop us a line. Until next time, live well.